Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. God created this world perfectly, and the Bible says one day He's coming back to reclaim what is rightfully His. That's why the second coming is important. It is a time for Christ to reclaim and recreate the sin-filled world. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, the Bible foretells that one day soon, Jesus will return to earth. So how should his return impact the way we invest the next 24 hours? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains not only what will happen during the second coming of Jesus Christ, but also why it really should change the way we live today. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thank you, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. If it's true that Jesus Christ is returning to earth one day, which is precisely what the Bible teaches, then how does his return impact the way we invest the next 24 hours? Shouldn't it make a big difference? Well, during today's program, we'll grapple with this convicting question as our study we're calling Perfect Ending continues. I've written a book by the same title, and for just a short while longer, you're invited to request your copy. It's yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Can you readily identify events such as the rapture, the tribulation, or the millennium on a timeline? Well, in my book, I'll help you understand these major events in God's timeline and many others. But equally important, I'll help you understand why these events should make a difference in your life right now. Plus, when you respond, I'll also send you a copy of The End Times Illustrated. This popular book gives a crystal clear explanation of key prophecies in the Bible and the order in which they will occur. We'll say more about these two books and other resources later in the program. But right now, let's get started with today's study. Everything we've discussed so far in our Perfect Ending series is only a prologue to the event we're looking at today, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 19 as we talk about history's most important event. Today, we're going to do three things. First of all, we're going to look at the events that precede the coming of Christ. And then we're going to look in Revelation 19 at that second coming of Jesus and how it is far different from the rapture that occurs seven years earlier. And then finally, we're going to answer the question, so what? What difference does it make if Christ is coming back? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 16 as we review the events preceding the second coming of Christ. Look at Revelation 16, verses 13 and 14. John says, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, now that's Satan, the power behind the Antichrist, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, Antichrist assistant, I saw coming out of their mouths three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are the spirit of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world 
to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. And so they gathered them together to the place in Hebrew, which is called Armageddon. They are going to try to lure all the kings of the earth to this one spot in Israel for the great battle. Look at Revelation 16, verse 17. While the world forces are gathering themselves together at the plain of Megiddo to mount war against the Antichrist, it is at that point that God releases his judgment, his final judgment against the earth. Look at Revelation 16, verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. But this judgment against the entire world is just a prelude to the main event. And that main event is the return of Jesus Christ. Turn over to Revelation chapter 19. As the world forces are battling at the plain of Megiddo, suddenly the heavens are going to open, the Bible says. And look at Revelation 19, 11 through 13. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war and his eyes are a flame of fire and upon his head are many diadems, crowns and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself and he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. As the world forces are doing battle, suddenly they are startled when they see the clouds part and they see the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they see Christ, they see he's not alone. Because in addition to the appearance of Christ, notice secondly, there is the appearance of the church of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Who is that army that is following Christ from heaven to earth? It is you. It is I. The Bible says we're going to dress in our finest clothes. He's talking about what he says very clearly in verse 8. Our linen, our clothing are our righteous acts. You say, no, wait a minute, pastor. Wait a minute. Good works? Haven't you taught us over and over again that good works are meaningless? No, no, not at all. Yeah, good works are useless when it comes to earning our salvation. When we become a Christian, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, God takes the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he wraps it around you so that when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the perfection of his son. That righteousness that God puts over us, think of it as our inner garment. Once we have Christ's righteousness around us, then we put on the righteous acts, that is obedience to Christ. And the good works we do after we are saved are very, very important. Our obedience to Christ after we're saved determines the kind of heaven we're going to experience. Did you know heaven won't be the same for everybody? It's not a democracy. It's not socialistic where everybody has the same thing. The Bible says there are degrees of heaven. And those degrees of heaven depend upon our obedience to Christ after we are saved. And that's what he's talking about here. He says when we come back with Christ, we will be dressing in those righteous acts that we have performed out of obedience to Christ. 
There'll be the appearance of Christ. There's the appearance of the church. And notice thirdly, at Christ's second coming, there is the defeat of Christ's enemies. Look at verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. Here are all the world forces prepared to do battle against Antichrist when suddenly they see Christ and us with him. Suddenly, those enemies become friends. They unite together, all the world forces in Antichrist, to do battle against Jesus Christ and his army. They are going to make war against us. And some people say, well, I'm a little easy, uneasy about that. You mean I'm going to be riding on horseback with Jesus and flailing a sword? I'm not sure I'm up to that. I'm not sure how well I would fare in such a battle against the world forces. No, that's not what it's going to be like at all. Our defeat of the enemies of Christ has nothing to do with our strength or horse riding abilities. It has to do with the power of God. Because look at verse 15 and verse 21. How are the enemies going to be slain? And from his mouth, Christ's mouth, comes a sharp sword so that with it he might smite the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and the rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Just as God killed 183,000 Assyrians with the breath of his word, so God, with a single word, will destroy his enemies on that day. That's what happens at the second coming of Christ, the appearance of Christ, the appearance of the church, and the defeat of Christ's enemies. Now, many people, as you know, believe that the second coming of Christ is the same as the rapture. Those who don't believe that there is a rapture that occurs seven years before the second coming believe that they are the same event. And one reason they believe that they're the same event is they say, well, the same words are used in the Bible to describe what you think of as the rapture, but is also the second coming. And that's true. There are three key Greek words that are used to describe both the rapture and the second coming. Now, I've put them on your outline. One word is parousia. It means the coming or arrival. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 4.15 about the rapture. It's also found about the second coming in Matthew 24. Apocalypsis. It's a word that means unveiling. The apocalypse or the revelation. That's again used to describe both the rapture and the second coming. Or epiphania. It means manifestation. It applies to both the rapture and the second coming. But let me remind you that just because two things are similar doesn't mean they're the same thing. Yes, there are some common elements in both. Both involve a coming of the Lord. Both involve an unveiling of Christ's glory. Both unveil a manifestation, an appearance of Christ. But they are two different events. Let me share with you eight ways that the rapture and the second coming are different. Now, we don't have time to go into this in depth. I'm going to go quickly here. You can get the book, Perfect Ending, and find out more details about this. But let me run through these with you because it's important to understand the difference between the rapture and the second coming. Number one, no prophecies are necessary for the rapture. Did you know that? There's no prophecy that has to be fulfilled before the rapture occurs. It could happen tonight. It could happen this afternoon. But there are many prophecies necessary for the second coming to occur. The regathering of 
Israel and the promised land. That has already occurred. The rebuilding of the temple, that has not yet occurred. There are many prophecies for the second coming, no prophecies for the rapture. Number two, Christ appears in the air at the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, we'll be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. But Christ returns to earth at the second coming. Zacharias 14 verse 4 says, and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Page turn. Number three, (laughs) Jesus returns to heaven with believers at the rapture. Christ returns to earth with believers at the second coming. The rapture, we're caught up together to meet him. At the second coming, as we saw, we're the armies that return with him to earth to set up his kingdom. Number four, the rapture is a mystery. By that, I mean it was never talked about or discussed in the Old Testament. Jesus never mentioned it in the Gospels. It isn't found in the epistles. And very simply, because Paul was the one who had the job of revealing the mystery of the church and the end of the church age, the rapture of the church. The rapture is a mystery, but the second coming is prophesied both in the Old and the New Testaments. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about the second coming. Number five, after the rapture, only believers are judged. But at the second coming, Israel and Gentile unbelievers are going to be judged. Number six, after the rapture, there is no physical change of the earth. The earth continues as is, but after the second coming, as we'll see next week, there'll be a partial renovation of the earth. Number seven, after the rapture, Satan continues to work. In fact, he continues to work more feverishly than ever before once believers are gone. After the rapture, Satan continues to work. After the second coming, Satan will be bound for a thousand years. That's the millennium that we talk about next week. And finally, number eight, at the rapture, only believers will see Christ. But at the second coming, everyone will see Christ. Both believers and unbelievers. It's prophesied in Zechariah 12, 10. It's prophesied in Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone, believers and unbelievers, will see the manifestation of Jesus at the second coming. Well, pastor, why is all of this important? What difference does it make if Jesus is literally coming back to the world one day? I remember when I was in high school and a member of this church being very excited about one particular Easter Sunday because on that particular Easter Sunday, Billy Graham was coming to preach at our church and he was going to bring the Easter message. At that time, Amy and I were dating. She lived in Richardson like I did, but her family went to a church with a very, very liberal pastor. And uh, this pastor, uh, I know from personal conversation with him, he didn't believe in the deity of Christ. He didn't believe in the inerrancy of scripture. He didn't believe in heaven. He didn't believe in hell. He didn't believe that Christ was the only way to be saved. And he didn't believe in the second coming of Jesus. Kind of wonder why he was in the ministry, what message he had. But he told me, one-on-one, all the things he didn't believe. So on that Easter Sunday morning, I was in my little Volkswagen bug driving down Central Expressway, excited about coming to hear Billy Graham, and uh, I decided to turn on the radio to listen to the sermon that 
Amy was listening to at her church because it was broadcast as well. It was 40 years ago, but I remember that sermon like it was yesterday. That liberal infidel pastor said this. He said, for 2,000 years, people have been looking for and expecting Jesus to come back to earth one day, but he hasn't come yet, and he's not coming. The first time Jesus comes is when he came at Bethlehem. The second time he comes is when he comes into your heart. That was his sermon on the second coming. And when I heard those words, I thought about 2 Peter chapter 3, in which Peter said, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. People today mock the idea of Christ coming. Oh, those Christians, they believe that forever. Peter says it'll be that way in the last days. But verse 8, he says, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The only reason Christ hasn't come yet is because he's giving you an opportunity to repent. But he is coming one day. Make no mistake about it. Why is it important to believe in a literal, visible, physical return of Jesus Christ? Let me mention three reasons. Why is Christ coming back to this world again one day? First of all, Christ is coming back to fulfill the prophecies of the Bible. There are over 1,800 prophecies in the Old Testament about the second coming of Jesus Christ. You can't turn a page of the New Testament but without reading over and over again, Christ is coming, Christ is coming, Christ is coming. If Christ does not return as he promised he was going to return, then it means you'll have hundreds of prophecies in the Bible unfulfilled. And if there are prophecies that are unfulfilled, it means the Bible cannot be trusted. Jesus is coming back again to first of all, fulfill the prophecies of the Bible. Secondly, he is coming back to judge unbelievers and to judge the sinful world. The Bible says Christ is coming back to judge this sin-filled world. You know, we look at what is happening in the world today and we say, God, why do you let such things happen? I was reading in the Dallas Morning News, perhaps you read it, that horrendous case about the father who set his two-year-old preschool son on fire, killed him. You think, why does God allow things like that to happen in the world today? The Bible answers the question. He says, unbelievers are storing up wrath day after day in the face of God. Wrath that is one day going to be unleashed against the world. Christ is coming back to judge this fallen world. In Isaiah 11, verse 4, the prophet said, But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Why is Christ coming back again to fulfill the prophecies of the Bible, to judge unbelievers? But thirdly and most importantly, Christ is coming back again to reclaim the earth. In Genesis 3, we read the story about how sin came into this world and the paradise 
God created was lost. But it was only temporarily lost. Now listen to me. If there is no second coming, if there is only a rapture in which God snatches away believers to live with him in heaven and leaves the earth as it is, that would be like God saying to Satan, okay, Satan, you won. I'll take believers up here with me in heaven and you can stay here on earth. I'll stay in my corner of the universe if you stay down there in your corner of the world. Now, do you think God's going to let that happen? Of course not. God created this world perfectly. And the Bible says one day he's coming back to reclaim what is rightfully his. That's why the second coming is important. It is a time for Christ to reclaim and recreate the sin-filled world. I remember reading the story about a group of seminary students who were playing basketball. After they finished their basketball game, they were going to the shower and one of the seminary students noticed a janitor sitting on the bleachers waiting for them to finish up so he could clean up. As the seminary student walked past the janitor, he saw that he was reading a Bible. So he said to the janitor, what are you reading? The janitor said, I'm reading the book of Revelation. The seminary student was studying the book of Revelation. He knew how complicated it was. And so he said in his most condescending tone, well, tell me, do you understand what it means? The janitor looked up and said, yes, sir. I understand what it means. It means Jesus is going to win. One day Jesus is going to win. But let's be honest. As we look at the world today, it doesn't look like Jesus is winning, does it? We see in the world around us, or perhaps just in our own world, a world that's filled with sadness, with disease, with broken relationships, and with death. What we feel and what we see is very, very real, but it's also very, very temporary. The Bible says one day Jesus is going to win. One day, Jesus is coming back again to reclaim and recreate that which has been lost. The apostle John looked forward to that day. He saw it before him in Revelation 11, verse 15. He said, and the seventh angel sounded, and there arose a loud chorus of voices saying, the kingdom of this world has now become the kingdom of God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I can't think of a better way to conclude today's message. Handel's Hallelujah Chorus stirs up deep emotion within us, but more importantly, it reminds us that no matter what happens, God is on His throne in heaven. As we conclude today, I'll end where we started. Earlier, I mentioned a book that I've written for you. Only a short time remains for you to request your copy of my best-selling book that parallels this series. It's called Perfect Ending, why Your Eternal Future Matters Today. Formatted with 10 chapters, my book provides biblical facts about topics like the rapture, the second coming of Christ, your eternal home in heaven, and much more. 
And my book is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. I've instructed our team at Pathway to Victory to also send you an additional resource. It's a 72-page book that I've called The End Times Illustrated, a panorama of Bible prophecy from Genesis to Revelation. Now, before I turn this microphone back over to David, let me just say thank you in advance of receiving your gift. I truly believe that Jesus is coming back soon. Whether it's a matter of days, months, perhaps decades, we know that time is running out. And until that day, it's our responsibility to share the message of the gospel with as many people as possible. Frankly, there's no more cost-effective way to share the gospel than through the airwaves. So thank you for partnering with us at Pathway to Victory as we share with the world the hope of heaven and the way to heaven through Jesus Christ. We couldn't accomplish our mission without you. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. You can request your very own copy of Perfect Ending along with the companion guide called The End Times Illustrated when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Give us a call toll-free 866-999-2965 or it's even easier to make your request online at ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you, in addition to the book and the companion guide, all the messages from this month's Perfect Ending series on both CD and DVD. Again, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. If you'd prefer to write, here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. After the Battle of Armageddon and the return of Jesus Christ, some Christians assume that our planet will be destroyed immediately. But in fact, the Bible describes a thousand-year period when Jesus will reign over a renovated earth. Find out what life will be like during that time Friday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.